the way I looked at it was the, the, the book is like inviting you to the party, to the, to the pachanga, to the carne asada, to the barbecue. If you are a writer, I just want to encourage you. You know, this book was rejected several times. Curses are very much a part of the DNA down here. Not, not everybody talks about it, but they're very real. All right, this is Case Johnston. We are recording from Banyan One on Historic 25th Street in Ogden, Utah. This is the Utah Humanities Podcast for the Center for the Book. And today, our guest is Ruben de Gallo. We're going to be talking about his book, The Family Esquielo. So welcome, Ruben. Thanks for joining us today. And we can't wait to have you in Salt Lake. Thanks for having me on, Case. Very excited to be here. So with Family Scarado, it's kind of funny I how I found it. I, I actually found it by kind of stalking Ruben on Twitter. He popped up in my feed a few times and then I've, I followed him. But then his book started popping up again. It started popping up again in, in other feeds that I liked. It started popping up again from friends that I followed on Twitter. Twitter is an interesting, I guess it's called X now. X is a weird thing. Um, uh, yeah, X, I, I don't know. Are we staying on? I, I don't know. Are we staying on? I don't know. Um, but it's for writers. It's actually a good thing, except for me, where everything I say goes into the void and dies. But um, no, so so I followed uh, Ruben on Twitter and the book just kept popping up. And then all of a sudden Ruben started to like uh, post about the notoriety, some of the awards that it was starting to get, the, rec- the recognition it was starting to get. So I was at independent bookstore, the King's English in Salt Lake City, and his book was there. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic. And so I bought it and started reading it that day, um, that evening. And the next day I said, I got to invite him to Utah. And so we, I wrote him in, I wrote him on Instagram, which is kind of stalkery too. And so Ruben will be here in October. You know, this, there's so many characters, right? There's so many different characters in these books and they almost all, all feel like the, the protagonist of the book. I mean, uh, they really, really do um, because they all have this different voice that's looking at this family from a different perspective. Can you tell us about like where this came from? Yeah. Um, so I, to, to go back to you, like everybody has their own voice and, you know, they're all unique. My, I, I guess my contention, like in writing the book is that that everyone in their head at least, or maybe, it comes off that way. They're all the hero of the novel, right? They're all the protagonists. So where it came from, um, you know, I've been writing these stories for about 25 years. And, and anytime you see a debut author come out, the debut author, I guess the, the idea is that they hatched and they just came onto the scene. But I, like I said, I've been writing them for t- 25 years. And the first uh, chapter the, after the prologue to Rocco came out in 1997, Wow. in a liter- literary journal, uh, Hayden's Fair Review. So a long time ago. And I would write other things, you know, kind of experimenting as, as a young writer. You know, I'm 25 years old, 24 years old. And I always kept coming back to this family because, you know, you, you set up th- that story. I didn't know it at the time, but that story was a setup for the book. And, you know, the 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 the, the story is set up in such a way that, the the oldest son Gonzalo finds a curse, and it it really lays out the rest of the things that are going to happen in the book. And as I wrote that story, like I said, I kept coming back to stories. So I would write a Maggie story, and and though not explicitly st- stated in the in the story itself, she was an izquierdo. And then I wrote, um, I think I wrote the other story, uh, Mariposa, and then I wrote. Um, 
you know, another story host. And, and so I kept, again, I kept, kept coming back to this family. And what I was discovering was that I was writing episodes. So I think of it like a, like a TV show in a lot of ways is that you have episodes, but in a lot of shows, you know, in, that are episodic in nature, there's a long running thread. And so as I wrote the book, like I said, each of these characters are their own hero in their own respective chapters, but there's this running thread of this curse that's been, you know, done against them as a family. And it's the thing that binds them along with the love that they have for each other. So the, I, you know, and you said, where does it come from? Well, you, you know, in my author's note, it states, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it, it, it essentially states that these, these stories are based in family lore though you know they're the characters are it's it's fiction essentially but you know there is some truth and every writer will tell you that everything that they write is from their own life in some way uh, shape or form and so even though there's so many characters and i and i tried to draw them richly none of the characters uh, other than maybe one character are a hundred percent based on real people they're they're pastiches of of characters and people that i know i've known in my life yeah and i think that's what drew me to it too is when i was reading these characters i thought i've i've known that person i've known that person i know that person that's my cousin maria you know that's you know i mean I, oh, trust me she never listens to these things but that's my cousin elena i mean um you know that's i know these people and that's what i think that's what drew me to it so much as that that there were all these different characters, but then you got to see him in all the different chapters from every else's perspective too. Mm -hmm. And that when a book comes together like that, I just love it. You know, it's because you get all, like you said, these rich voices, but then you get to see from the, the really cool part about this book and other books like this is you get this authentic first person voice. And then you go to another chapter and you already know what's going on in their head. You know, let's go. But then you go to another chapter and somebody else is seeing them mm -hmm. and they're judging them or they're talking about them. But you, you have sympathy for that first person character you read a chapter before. And yeah. that makes the, that, you know what that feels like to me in reading this? It feels like family. It just feels like family. It feels right. like, you know, all these people like, why, you know, in my family, I, I know exactly who my family thinks I am. You know, and no matter what I do, that's who I am in this family. I hadn't thought about it this way, but Craig Lancaster, a friend of mine, said that every character has a little bit of you and a little bit of somebody else in them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've never thought about it that way, but I think it's I think it's really, really, really true. When it comes to the larger arc, because the larger arc is tied to this curse, right? And I don't want to give it all away. I mean, I want people to buy this book. Um, the goal is that for everybody goes out, picks up this book and, and, uh, and reads it. The larger arc is this curse, you know, and where that belongs to each family member and how it affects each family member. Where in the writing of it, did you feel like it kind of needed to be there in the backdrop throughout? Was, or was that natural? Yeah. Uh, you know, if I had to think of a, of a percentage, I, I would probably say about 70%, maybe more explicitly reference the curse and in a large family when there's when there's something that's impacted the family it'll come up in conversation and so the the way i looked at it was the the, the book is like inviting you to the party to the to the pachanga to the carne asada to the barbecue 
and that you're overhearing conversations, you're seeing glimpses into their lives. And there's this thing that you may overhear in a conversation. What, what is this about a curse? Did you hear what mm -hmm. Maggie said? She said a curse. Wait, Gonzalo over there mentioned something similar, but they're all seeing it in a different way. So when you look at like Maggie's story, Maggie's two chapters, she's focused on her work as a hairdresser. She doesn't really bring it up or when she, if she does, she briefly touches on it. Uh, another one is the story of uh, La Milagrosa Selena, where the friend is telling the story of Marisol, and she briefly mentions it, but she, she steps away from it. And so that curse, the, the kind of the way you see it is, is it impacts the family members differently, but by, it's almost like by age, the older they are, the more it affects them. And so that's been a question, like, why didn't you focus on the younger family well, it's like it's not the curse is not as relevant to them as it is to the older, older generation because they're they're kind of moving on. And then when you go to the last chapter, the which which I I set up as the as the epilogue, he doesn't mention it at all. the The younger character Seferino as a man doesn't even bring it up. It's not even and that was intentional. A lot of people were like, well, you didn't even mention it. Well, no, yeah. he's the third generation. He was younger. He's further removed from it, but still you're seeing um, the effects of, because I mentioned it earlier in the book, this this curse is gonna affect them for generations and it does manifest in its own, and that's up for interpretation of how it manifests in this character's life and the, the troubles he and his wife have had with with uh, having a child. But in, in, in a sense, that's kind of where I was coming from is that it's gonna, it's, this this thing is hanging over them but it's gonna it's gonna manifest itself in different ways to different people. And then going back to your other conversation that you mentioned before is that you know some of these characters they're not really aware of who they are, but you see them fully as they're seen from some someone else. And so like this this character Maggie, for example, she sees herself as being shy about the things of God, but everyone else mm -hmm. they're like she's exaggerated. She says whatever comes into her mouth, right, or into her mind rather. Um, and so she doesn't kind of see herself as other people see her. So that that's another thing that I wanted to show is that, you know, who we think we are is not always who we are uh, as perceived by others. Yeah, especially family too, right? I mean, you like, I, you know, I think family is, I, I, I feel like um, we are, we are set in our roles in our family. And that's where the book was really inter interesting is because you see that pers first person perspective and you're like, that's not the person that people are describing. That's not the person. That's not the person that the cousin is describing or the aunt is describing. That's a different person in their mind, you know. I mean, the, mm -hmm. one of my favorite chapters was the host. I mm -hmm. loved that chapter. I thought the insight into that kind of family dynamic, and then of course there's the depression and you know the mental illness of the protagonist of that chapter. But at the same time, that that chapter felt like it was so authentic in the sense that being in a family, where do you belong and how people see you and what are you always trying to prove that, you know, that, that chapter was just, it was, it was so rich for me. Um, so many good chapters, but I kind of, I, I see, you know, with this and we talked about this, Ruben and I talked earlier, earlier this month about when Gonzalo goes into that second person. Right. And that was kind of, what was that decision-making process? Because I think that, is that the only chapter in second person? I believe that's it is. The only, that is the only chapter in the whole book that's in second person. Yep. 
so that that one, if if any of them were hard to write, that that one was the hardest. Yeah. Uh, because you you have Gonzalo, who's this complicated character, and and you see him in in one of the chapters where he's he's berating uh, verbally, you know, berating his wife, and he's jealous, and he's he's has all these crazy suspicions, these wild suspicions about his nephew and right. something going yeah. on with him and his wife. You see him as the toxic masculine, uh, almost like. Okay, we expect to see that in fiction, and then you see him in in this this second person chapter where uh, he he's you know he's displaying genuine remorse uh, for his actions, and he has to do this difficult thing of of going to handle his his father when he's in one of his episodes, right. and and so the choice on that was what, going back to why it was hard for me to write was that um, in a lot of ways I don't like Gonzalo. Like I yeah. understand Gonzalo. I understand. Okay, he he had to take care of his family when he was nineteen years old. He's a tough man. He's a hard man. Right. Life has made him that way. But I don't like him all the time because of how he how he's treated his wife and how he has to be this this macho you know machista mm -hmm. on, the, on the surface. So what I did, the choice I made with that, and I love this question. It's only come up a few times, but uh, because it's really made me think about it, was what I did with this character was I I had to pick something that was removed but yet closer in to who he is as a person and so in a lot of ways by using the second person you narrator um it, it freed me up to give me some distance from the character so that i could write him because i couldn't i couldn't i tried first person and i could not access him just because of the characteristics that he has that I don't yeah, like. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was too hard for me. And and a lot of a lot of you know authors can do that. I can't. Mm -hmm. I have to like my narrator. And so what I did was I chose this second person uh narrator and and from the perspective and I and I've never heard an author explain it this way, but maybe maybe I'm a maybe I'm a pioneer. I don't know. But the <laughs> second the second person narrator is Gonzalo looking at him looking back at himself at who he was. And so that narrator is a better man. He has grown, he has learned, he has matured, he's he's acknowledged his mistakes. And so he's I, I see him, the, the narrator, as an older man, looking back at himself as a younger man. And once that clicked, once I understood this is the place, because an author, you have to figure out where you're writing from, right? And so once I figured that out, it clicked, and, I, and I'm not joking, I wrote that story in a matter of about three hours. I had a first draft. Once it clicked, man, like that story, boom, it was just in a matter of three yeah. hours and I had it down and then it was just fine tuning it after that. And when yeah. I sent it, it was written after. And and I'll, I'll let you into the publication process a little bit was my editor, uh, Niniyama Amadiobi, who was an amazing editor at, at Norton. She's like, who is Gonzalo? I just see him as this, you know, bad man. Who is he? I don't understand him. Can you yeah. can you write something for him? And so that chapter was written way after it was actually in the revision editing process that I wrote that chapter. That's and a good it, editor. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. saw it. Like, who is he? Like, we yeah. I, I have no sympathy for him, and I didn't have anything for him either until right. I wrote that chapter. Well, because he plays such a big part at the end too. Yeah. You know, he plays a good, uh, he's such a huge part with Papa Tavo at the end, right? Yeah. So he's, he needs to have. We need to have some sympathy for him. When we get that's a good editor. That's a good 
That's a really good call. And I see how you can, how you say it, like third person would have been too distant. Right. And we might not have gotten what you're saying. Like maybe that is this maturity. Maybe we believe him. Maybe we don't believe him in third person. Yeah. Um, first person, you can't write it because that, you know, it's, you can't keep, push yourself into that machismo. Right. And you can't feel, feel it. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think that, I think writers listening to this can get two things from this. First off, listen to your editor. Second, oh, yeah. Yes. Secondly, that this thing's a process and that where we go as writers isn't always easy. And then, but once it clicks, right? Once it clicks, it clicks. I did that in my last novel. It was like, I had this one chapter where my two protagonists were coming together, but I didn't know who was going to be the, the first, who was going to be the protagonist in that chapter. They met. So I did it in third person and it was first person for both of them, the whole book. And then the third person. And it was just like that. It was like, it clicked and it was like, and that's the, that's the chapter everybody writes, talks about, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't, and they did not have sex. Um, and I did that because they were unmarried and I did not want to deal with my mom. My mom would have not been happy with that chapter. Not at all. Um, so yeah, because uh, my mom is very Catholic and she does listen to this. So yeah, uh, you know, my, my number one fan. Um, I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's so intriguing and I can't believe, I mean, this, I, I can believe it because I've talked to a lot of writers and I've been a writer myself for a lot of years that the impetus of this, the beginning of this was in 1996, right? I mean, that's yeah. just, it's truly, it's truly remarkable. And to hear, I mean, if you're a writer listening to this, I hope that you are. First off, I hope you'll buy the book. Second, I hope you'll come to Ruben's events in October. And third, I hope you understand that this, a book like this that has been, has gotten a lot of notoriety isn't just hatched out of, out of nowhere. No, it's, it's a long process. And, and it was just years and years. And, and I'll just, if you are a writer, I just want to encourage you, you know, this book was rejected several times and, and, and I'm of the mind that the timing is, is right. It has to be right. And, and people were not ready. Whatever reason, you know, uh, people were not ready for this book. It wasn't the right time for it to be published yet. And, 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 because I hadn't gotten in front of the right editor. And and like I said, we found each other, my editor and I, and then Yama, we found each other. And she made she made this book way stronger than than it would have been as, as a collection. Cause because as we were reading it, we we're like, is this a collection or is this a novel? Yeah. And and if you think of it as a collection, sure, you know, you can you can think of it that way, because a lot of people do, but I'm telling one big story that's that's interconnected. So it's it's a novel in my mind. Yeah, it felt like a novel when I finished it. We had some technical difficulties earlier when we started this podcast and and Ruben had noted that these were all initial, most of them were initially short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he went, had gone back and and made it a novel. Because, you know, I mean, you can talk about that process too, that, you know, a group of short stories, turning it into a novel is probably a lot of work to make sure that there's not any overlap, make sure that things are talking about each other in the right way in different chapters. It felt like a novel to me. So when you said, when he said that earlier, before our reset, technically, I was actually surprised. I was actually surprised that they were short stories originally. So, oh, I think good, it, that's good to yeah, hear. It means I was, we did thought, a good job. It means you did a really good job. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, it was cool. Yeah. And the, the truth is, and uh, I mean, I just saw so many people in my life in Ruben's book. It's really interesting, and this is off topic. Um, but we just drove from here to the Redwoods and the Redwoods back, and we drove across Nevada. And so my family is started in New Mexico. And the railroads took them from New Mexico to Colorado to Nevada to Utah, my mom's side of the family. 
And my mom, we were driving through Nevada and we would be like at Winnemucca or we'd be said, oh, there's some other town. And she would say, you know what? We used to go to Christmas there. And then it was a town over. We used to go to Christmas there because the railroad, they would just stop and they would, my mom was born in a track house outside of Elko. They would just stop, you know, all the way around. She said, we used to go to Christmas there. This is going back to a very specific question. But our family lore is that, you know, that our, my great uncles and aunts and we come from a family from New Mexico, New Me- Northern Mexico, Southern Colorado, where there were four Chavez's and four Cordovas and they all married each other. And my mom never knows who's married to who. Um, and she's like, and I always ask her, like, I always ask her, who's that? Who's, who's that? And she said, I don't know. Your grandma is, your grandma's dead. We always asked her, but the lure there was they would all those Christmases all across Nevada, wherever they settled, where the railroad took them was that they would get drunk on Christmas and beat each other up. Right. <laughs> You know, and it's, and then like, it's like, that was my mom's memory of childhood, you know? And, and I wonder, and so this goes back to the curse with Papa Tavo, right? Is, is there any type of literal kind of illusion? Is the curse an illusion to something more literal in the family or, or within the book? Is it really the curse? Does that make sense as a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. And and I love it's open-ended enough so I can I can answer it any way I want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you got into my Cordova Chavez family lore, which yeah. is not and my mom doesn't love it, but she laughs about it now. But it yeah. actually speaks to me. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is that I don't know, you know, maybe if there's a few authors that have family curses in their books, uh, but but I, I haven't seen any done in such a way that that I have. But the thing with the the curse is I've seen authors, you know, deal with family curses and such, but not, not in the way I've handled it per se. But if you, if you look at the Rio Grande Valley where I live along here in the border of Texas, curses are very much a part of the DNA down here. Not, not everybody talks about it, but they're very real. And I'll give you an example. Recently, maybe like a year ago, I'm at the mall with my, with my dad and, and my family and we're getting out. And we look, for whatever reason, we look down at the parking lot on the on the pavement, and there's a severed uh, rooster foot. We see it on the ground, and it's it's very deliberate. You can tell it's a curse. I mean, you don't just find a severed rooster foot in the mall, and they've actually gone to the trouble of painting the toenails of the rooster mm-hmm. foot. So, is it you know is it based in reality? Well, hello, like that's what yeah. we saw at La Plaza Mall, you know, mm-hmm. not even a year ago. And so how much of it, you know, and I never like to say, you know, the, the actual true, true story behind the story, because those are real close to my chest, close to my family. Uh, but I will say that 40% of what actually happens in the novel happened in some way in my family. And what I will never say is what 40%. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. That's, a, <laughs> that's the safe way to do it. I mean... Like, has, I mean, how has the family reacted to it? I mean, you've got a big family. Oh, yeah. The, you know, and I, I have several readers in the family. And, and one of my uncles, mm-hmm. you know, he, he saw the book. My dad had, he, he had the, the, you know, the advanced readers copies. And, you know, he was showing it around at one of our get-togethers. And my uncle looks at it and he reads the back a little bit. And he goes, hey, were these Gerdos, right? That's us? The De Goyalos? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I mean he all he had to do is read the back cover copy and kind of pull some details out and say you know that, i think that's us um and so you know i've had several family members read it uh and 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 
they're very supportive. My family's very supportive of me as a writer. Mm -hmm. And and when my first short story got published way, you know, way back in 95 or whatever, not any scandal story, but um, it was in a literary journal from my university. I, I, I won second place and I got 20 bucks. And, and as a budding writer, it's like I'd been published in the New Yorker. It was a huge deal to me. And my family, they, yeah. my, my dad took me out to dinner. They took me out to dinner. And, and he, my dad introduced me, yeah. Mijo, the writer. And, and we celebrated. Yeah. My whole family was there. My uncles and aunts and cousins. They were all there celebrating this rinky-dink literary journal $20 uh, prize that I got for second place. But that's who I come from. And so that's, as I write these stories, that is the care and the love that I try to put into the stories. And, you know, and I mentioned my, my family in my acknowledgement page, we, you know, we get together, uh, we pray with one another, we eat with one another. So we're, we're very close. We don't see each other as much as we'd like, of course, yeah. but, but certainly we're all very close as a, as a family. And, and my family's even larger than the Scandal family. Cause people were like, Oh, there's no families this big. Hello. I got, <laughs> I got 13 uncles and aunts and over 50 cousins. And when we get together, you know, I have to look at the faces of my, my cousin's kids. And I'm like, wait, stop for a second. Oh, let me look at your face. Oh, you're yeah. Sergio's kid. I see you. Okay. I see the resemblance there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's how many family members I have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's so cool to hear. I love that story about your dad and dinner. That's just, that's just fantastic. I, you know, when I was starting out, my parents were like, what is this publishing thing? I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it, but they were, I think they were really proud too, but that's a great story. So. I'm so glad we got connected. Oh my gosh, what a great conversation. Today, one of our first Utah Humanities Center for the Book podcasts, we are highlighting Ruben de Gallo, the family of Schiero, and we are, it's just a great book. He'll be here in October. Yes, yeah, it's, we, we, he'll be here in October, a multiple events. So we will have multiple events with, with Ruben, one in Ogden, of course, because that's my hometown and yeah. Ogden, Ogden is the place to be. Uh, one in Salt Lake, and then Ruben will be working with the youth in another project. So with the last question, and this is kind of the one I always like to end with is, what do you want your readers to take from this? Or what is it that we didn't talk about from this book that you would just like to share either the writing process or the, uh, or, or the character, whatever it is, something you'd like to share about the book that, that gives, that gives us a little bit more insight into it. Yeah. I, you know, for, for anybody that's a writer in the audience, I would just like to say, you know, keep at it. If if you feel like uh, you are in a place where you want to give up or whatever, like I said, 25 years, this took me 25 years to write this book. Uh, it took a lot of time uh, to write it, number one. Number two, to actually get it published. It was rejected several times. Uh, it, it just wasn't in the timing. It wasn't in the right place. So that's for the writers. For anyone reading the story, I would just like to share with them is that uh, despite, you know, tough stuff, despite mental illness, despite, uh, you know, all the tragedies that this family uh, finds is that they, you know, ultimately they find hope in their faith. They find hope in each other. Um, and I would just encourage you, like, I, I wanted to write a literary novel because a lot of them are real downers. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of them are real downers. I wanted to write a literary novel that, you know, there's some tough things happening that we're not always talking about in our community, in the Chicano, Mexican-American community, but there's hope to be found. There's love yeah. to be found. So I just wanted to encourage uh, your readers with that. And hopefully 
hopefully that's going to come through in the pages that despite all these things, you know, they find, they find that hope in their faith and in their family. Well, it did for me. Um, as, as one reader, you know, um, it did for me. It felt like love, so much, so much love, so much forgiveness through the pages. Oh yeah. You know, so much compassion through the pages and a lot of people I knew, like I said, we will put all of Ruben's uh, details, the dates he'll be here, where he'll be in the podcast notes. All right. Thanks. Ruben. I'm so excited. So excited to be out there. I can't wait to meet everyone.